We had some snow this week. Did you see it? I got up early, I think it was maybe Friday, and it was really coming down, flurries, heavy, nice coating on the ground. Yay! <laughs> and one of the things we get in our house is we get a chocolate pie uh, on the first real snow of the year. So uh, we got a chocolate pie the other day. That was maybe earlier in the week, I think, even. I can't remember which day. Uh, but even if you don't like snow, and I know you're out there, uh, a few of you folks don't like snow. You, it's, it looks kind of pretty if it's all coated. And the good thing about the snow this week, I think you have to agree, is that it melted and was gone as the sun came up within even a couple of hours, which is really strange. On Friday, I don't know if you noticed this, but the temperature started off at like 30 in the morning and then just went down all day long. And despite it being well below freezing, the snow that came down melted. It was gone even as the sun shined its light and warmed it and brought the day to us. And as we look at God's Word today, as we dig into Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, 14 through 16, I want you to have that image in your mind as you think about light, to have that idea of not only being able to see, but to have a warmth that can even penetrate the, the cold and melt snow. As we look at this passage, Jesus is speaking to his followers as the, the crowds listen in. He's speaking to his disciples in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, just a, a, a few verses into it at Matthew 5, verse 14. And Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. And as we look at this passage, that tension that exists because he says you are the light of the world and then he says to shine the light. He says you are and you have to be and do. That tension is something that we need to wrestle with and that's going to be our focus today. That tension between being and doing is critical if you want to impact the world, which we do. We want to impact the world for Jesus. And so let's look at our passage today, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, to understand how we do that. How do we manage this tension and how do we be who Jesus would have us to be? How do we do what Jesus would call us to do? Read with me, please. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16 of God's holy, inspired, life-giving, light-shining word. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and, and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word. Lord, thank you for your word, that it does give us light, that it shines the truth for us, and it also warms our hearts with its encouragement. Would you do that today in our hearts? Meet us here, we pray. <clears throat> Make these words more than 
ink on paper, pixels on a screen, sound waves hitting our eardrums. Make them your light, that we might be light as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus started what we call the Sermon on the Mount, this message that he shares here in Matthew 5 through 7, with uh, turning the world upside down in a sense. He says that those who seem to be worse off actually have it better. In Matthew 5, 3 uh, through about 13 or so, right before our passage, verse 12 maybe, 5 through 3 through 12, he speaks of those who are blessed who have it better. And it seems to be describing hard circumstances, challenging things, those who mourn and those who are persecuted, all of these things. But what I, what I want you to, to have in the mind as we look at our passage is this context where Jesus says in that beginning part what we call the Beatitudes, those blessings, he says some six times, those in a certain situation shall be blessed, shall have things better for them. That he says six times, if you're in this hard situation, it will be better. But he also says a couple of times that in a hard situation, you already have it better. Theirs is the kingdom of God, he says at the end of that passage. That, that idea of following Jesus, I think we know, is directed toward the future. There's a lot of shalls, things that are out there for us that will come one day, but there's also the things that we have now. And this tension between the now and the then, from what we have and what will be, for who we are and who we are becoming, that, those tensions, they all are a huge part of what it means to follow Jesus. And in this message, he, he draws on that, and in our passage in particular, he really begins to unpack what that means for those who live, as theologians have called it, in the already and the not yet. That we are straddling two different time zones, so to speak. Following Jesus reorients our lives. It brings a new perspective to all of us because Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is shining like the sun on Friday, showing us what's all around us. We could see the snow, we could see the streets, all those kind of things, right? And he's also shining with a warmth that would melt cold hearts. That that is the way he comes to us. And so as we come to him, he shines with the truth that helps us see life more clearly. He shines with the warmth that makes us feel loved more deeply. And what he says to us is if, if, if we follow him, if we draw near to him, you, we will be like him. We will be like him. You will be like Jesus. And he actually says you, you are and you will be. That tension continues. And so if you follow Jesus, you will shine. You are the light of the world. Jesus says. Let's look at that first of all. That, that idea that you are the light of the world. That's our first point today. That is a present reality. 
It's a now thing. You are the light of the world. Look what he says in verse 14. He could not be clearer. You are the light of the world. Does that really leave any room for doubt? He is speaking to his followers predominantly, right? They are there. The crowds are around him, but it says explicitly that Jesus sits down and begins to say to his disciples, the Beatitudes follow, and then you are the light of the world, Jesus says. Y'all is the way you might translate the you there. You plural are. It's emphatic. In the Greek language, you, you don't need to have a pronoun. The verbs have a pronoun built into them. Do they not, Scott? Are you learning Greek yet? He's looking forward to it. Starting on Tuesday, aren't you? Yes. The Greek has the pronoun built in, so you don't need a pronoun. You could say, you are the light, with just one word. But Jesus adds another word that says, you. He adds the pronoun to emphasize that you, 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 the people in front of him, you, the people in front of me, you, the followers of Jesus, are the light of the world. It's clear. It's true. It's certain it's emphatic, Jesus says. You are the light of the world. You who have come into a relationship with Jesus. You who have been, as Jesus would describe it in John 3, you who have been born again. You who were blind spiritually but now see. You who have had the heart of stone replaced by a heart of flesh. You who have had your filth washed away and have been made clean. As Ezekiel talks about it in chapter 36. You who Paul says in Ephesians 2, who once were dead, but you have been made alive in Christ. You are the light of the world. It's a present reality. It's now. Already. It's not only a present reality, but it's a part of who you are now. Right now. Look what he says in verse 14. These two word pictures. First of all, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You can't hide a city up on a hill. And you can think about that in the daytime. If you're walking through and you see a city on a hill, you're going to see the city. You can't hide it. A city is a big thing. Even more so if you're walking by in night in the darkness. And you see even a candlelit window in the distance as Jesus would have seen in his day. Because they only had candles, not street lamps or anything else. But you could still see the city with just candlelight in the homes, in the windows. You can't hide it. It's a part of what the city is. It just glows. And in those days, it would have glowed as an invitation as you're walking in the night or even in the day. You know, a city means a place where you can find hospitality, where people will welcome you. It was different back in those days. Uh, you would be welcomed. It was, a, a, it was a tradition that if someone was a stranger, you would bring them in. You would feed them. Maybe wash their feet. Give them a place to stay. That's what a city would represent. Uh, and it can't be hidden. You would see a city. You would know this. And he continues with another metaphor here. City on a hill cannot be hidden, verse 15. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
A light exists to give light. To shine. It would be ridiculous to light the light and put it under a basket. It looks pretty silly when you turn your uh, flashlight on on your phone, right? And you stick it in your pocket. It's sitting there, shining out. Do you do that? I've, I've done that. It turns on easier, doesn't it, by accident than it does on purpose? That's my light anyway. I'm old. It was meant to be shining. You know, if you've got a light on, it's supposed to be in your hand. It's supposed to be out, shining and bringing light. That's, that's the picture Jesus is using to say you're the light of the world. It's a part of who you are now. And what that means is people will see the light in you. You will be surprised when people say things to you. Have you ever had anyone apologize to you for their language? Oh, I'm sorry I didn't see you there. After they've said some colorful words about other people. People will apologize for things. Oh, I didn't realize. Oh, you probably don't know what I mean. Because they've seen the light in you. And it's very often so much more about them and their conscience without you even saying a word sometimes. Because you have the light in you and you just live differently by your own nature because you already are the light and they see the light and the light shines in the darkness of their own lives and it convicts. And our consciences bother us. Just by being who you are, it's already a part of you, this light. People will leave you out of things. You will be excluded sometimes because people don't want the light or they think you wouldn't be interested in what they're doing. People will give you religious gifts that they think represent the light that you're in, like a big giant Bible or something. Which I got for a wedding present. Because my wife and I are religious. Somebody gave us a giant Bible. I mean like a family Bible for generations. It was massive. Why? Because yeah, I wasn't even a pastor then. You know, we, we, we made Jesus a part of our lives. We, we, we weren't showing off. We were just living. We'd go to Bible studies. We'd go to church. You do the same things, brothers and sisters. And people see that. They see that light in your life. And it makes things better and, and it makes things more awkward sometimes. And that's the reality of being the light right now. In the present. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. It's a part of who you are. It's a present reality. But it's also... More than that. He says, because you are the light of the world, you must shine like your Father. This is our second point today. You must shine like your Father. That's a practiced awareness. You, you already are the light of the world, but you also have to be aware of that and recognize that you do need to shine, that it is a practiced awareness. He says that in verse 16. Look what he says. Let your light shine before men, before other people. Let your light shine. And that... You know, it sounds to us in English as kind of permission, like the light's going to shine, but you're kind of, you know, it's a command, actually. 
In, in, in the Greek language, they had third-person commands, imperatives, which is awkward for us. You might translate it effectively as shine your light. That's a close approximation of what Jesus is saying. Shine your light. But wait a minute, Jesus. You just said I'm the light of the world. I already am. It's who I am. Now, why are you telling me, why are you commanding me to be who I am? Why would Jesus command you to be who you are? If you are the light of the world, why do you need someone to tell you to shine? If you're a lamp, isn't that what you do? If you're a city on a hill, it's like saying don't hide. Well, I'm not hiding. I'm a city. What's going on here? Why is Jesus commanding you to be who you are, to do what you do? The first part of the answer is this is one of those tensions of living in our present life in this day before he has returned, before he has completed his good work in us, that we live in this tension of the now and yet of who we will be. We're not there. That we live in this tension of, you know, I am the light and I can fail to live in ways that shine. I can make poor choices. The world, the flesh, the devil, they all are against you and opposed to you. They are trying to put out your light. They are convincing you that maybe you should just put it under the bushel in this place or that place. Uh, the world would say, yeah, you can't say that here in the public school. You can't do that in this place. And you begin to say, you know, you know well, maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just put this in a little package. Maybe from inside you have the tension that, that you, you see all of your faults and failures and you're like, how could I really be the light of the world if I just did that? If I messed up so poorly in front of those people, how could I possibly have the light shining through me? These are the tensions. And part of the challenge that you and I face in this present age that we will not face in the future is that we need to believe that we walk by faith. You, you won't need faith when Jesus returns. You will see him with your own eyes. But right now you need faith. You need to believe these promises of God where you need to believe the promises of Jesus that he says you are the light of the world and you have to believe, yes, I am. Messed up me, the one who walked in darkness for years and who continues to make mistakes and disobey God am the light of the world. How could that be? Well, part of it, the solution is to recognize that, that role of belief That you, to think about what is your core identity at heart? If, you're, if you have put your faith in Jesus, your core identity is a follower of Jesus. Someone united to Jesus. To put Him central in your life. 
And in the places where you don't do that, those are the places where your, your light is not shining. And there is a place where you need to repent. Or there's a place where maybe you learn something and you need to put it into practice. That's walking by faith. Believing these promises. And the, the main promise that you need to grasp, if you want to shine like your Father, which you will do, because you are the light of the world, is not only to practice this awareness, but in particular to, to practice an awareness of the profound relationship that you have. You are in a profound relationship. Look what Jesus says in verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and think you're pretty good. Is that what your Bible says? Let your light shine before others so that they will glorify you and think you've got it all together. Is that what your Bible says? Is that what your heart says sometimes? Is that not the temptation that we face? Whereas Jesus says, let your light shine in such a way that they who see you may see your good works, what you do that is right and good, and glorify your Father in heaven. Just think about that. Glorify your Father. To make much of. To glorify means to, to feel the weight of. To, your Father in heaven, that His presence would be there because of what you do. That people would see your good works and say, praise God. Praise your Father. Right, we looked uh, back at Christmas time, we looked at, at the importance of, of us being identified as sons of God. And in those days, as Paul put it in Galatians 4, that, that Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And it was important, even though you, you, male or female doesn't matter, to say, you know what, I'm a son of God. I have the rights and privileges in those days that only would ever come to males that you, male or female now, in Jesus Christ, have the rights and privileges that Jesus has as the Son of God. You have those. That you are sons of God. You have been adopted into the family of God. That God, holy and righteous, is your Father. And He's a good, good Father, as the song goes. That, that promise... That understanding, that recognition that God has brought you into his family is huge for us being able to shine the light. Because you can think about it this way, right? Like, you know, maybe as a kid, you used to argue with other kids, you know, my daddy could beat up your daddy, that kind of thing. You ever have those conversations, you know, uh, maybe it was just boys, maybe it was just where I grew up, I don't know. But we would say those kind of things, right? My dad can beat your dad. Your father can beat everyone. You're his son. He is with you. He will watch out for you. And we've all had fathers who were imperfect. And even in their discipline, it was not pleasing, right? But it, it, 
This father always does what is right. He disciplines us when it's necessary and only to the amount that's necessary. He encourages us, lifts us up, makes promises for us, fights our battles for us, conquers our enemies. That's your father. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're his child. This God, who is above all, the maker of heaven and earth, has said you you are my child. You are my child. I am for you. This God hitches himself up with you. Jesus put it this way. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is so confident that you will become like the Father that He says, this is the way people are going to know who I am. Know that you follow Me because you're going to love one another. And in our day and age, that is so hard to love other people, is it not? We're, we're afraid of being identified with the wrong group or saying the wrong thing or having someone uh, tell us we're wrong or shame us and cancel us. Like they, they, There's so much to it that if for us to just love one another, to care for one another, to welcome one another, to have hospitality towards one another, to have no conditions toward each other, to not judge one another, that we would love one another, that we would put one another up above us. And serve one another. Jesus says, that's how people are going to know you're my disciples. Because you love one another. It's a beautiful thing that we have here in this place, brothers and sisters. Just the fact that you are in this room with one another is evidence of the work of Christ in our hearts. That you would love one another. You from over here. You from over there. The legacies and histories between our different countries and cultures and backgrounds Big, giant, obvious ones like the colonial slave trade and less obvious ones like the tensions between uh, Indian and Africans in history. There are all kinds of things like that within Europe itself and throughout the world. Those various tensions that we all face. And for us to be in this place together, to show love for one another, that we would sing the songs of each other, that we would condescend to sing a song that someone else likes and that annoys us, and that we would sing the song we like and other people would be... That, that's beautiful. That we would overcome the obstacles of our own backgrounds, our own cultures, our own languages, and the differences that we have between age and gender and all of those kind of things, that we would overcome those is a demonstration of the power of God and the more we are willing to embrace the fact that God is our Father and relativize everything else on the planet, the more we will grow in our love for one another, our acceptance of one another, that we would shine in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's another tension here. You know, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, if you know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, you might be going, wait a minute, Jesus. You're telling me that I should shine in such a way that my good works are seen by other people and that they then praise God. But Jesus, you say in Matthew 6 verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. There's a tension there. 
Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. And I meant to not read that whole part because that's the answer. To be noticed by them. That's how you relieve the tension. Beware of practicing your righteousness, your good deeds, before men to be noticed by them. And he talks about and uses that language with uh, focusing on religious activities, especially giving to the poor and praying and fasting. As Justin just said in talking about the media fast, please don't do this to then be able to, to slide it into conversation, right? Yeah, I'm sorry I was late. I was, you know, at the media fast meeting. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't get your email, you know. I'm taking a media fast. I would do that. <laughs> like, you know, how, how hard is it? You know, that's the temptation, right? To make it about us. That to be noticed that we are good and right. And, and, and the, the, the way we break free from that is to recognize God is my Father. I don't need to prove anything to anybody else. God has accepted me and brought me into His family. He has adopted me. Uh, he knows me better than I do. And he says, you know what? I want you to be in my family. You're messed up, but I'm going to give you a safe place. You're messed up and you do all these things, but I'm going to treat you, teach you some new habits. I'm going to love you and accept you. And you might go run away and squander all the riches I give you, but I'm going to welcome you back when you repent and come to me because I am your father. I am your gracious and loving and kind father. And you are mine. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses that language again and again that God is our Father. 17 times in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus mentions the Father, and he mentions being sons several other times. The point being that, the, that this would happen through the Son of God. That as your faith and confidence is in Jesus, you would shine like Jesus shines. That you would become like Jesus. You are already, by faith in Jesus, reckoned to be like Jesus in God's sight. That you are forgiven. That you are treated as righteous, as right with God. That all of your sins were nailed to the cross and buried and paid for. That that's the way God sees you. Yet, you're not there yet. That in Christ, in, in union with Him, in your faith in Him, you begin to become like Jesus. This is the tension. That you are credited with what you don't have. That God has paid your debts and you are learning how to live differently. That's what's going on. That the promise of Isaiah 60 would be yours. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and His glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness 
of your rising. That's a promise primarily to the Messiah, to the servant, to the Son of God, as Isaiah predicts it. But it's a promise to you and I as well as we are in Christ that the light would shine upon you, that the glory of the Lord would rise upon you. And if you've experienced that in the presence of God, He has melted your heart just like the snow, right? The light comes and, and, and your cold heart defrosts. And you embrace the warmth. And at the same time, you experience the truth that the light illuminates the world around us for it, what it really is. That this connection between Jesus as the Son and God as your Father through the Spirit is a profound relationship that you must call to mind because you must shine like your Father. You are the light of the world. Ripley, Ohio is on the banks of the Ohio River in Ohio. On the other side of the river is the state of Kentucky. John Rankin was a Presbyterian minister in the 19th century, mid-1800s, and he lived in Ripley, Ohio, on Liberty Hill. And many nights in those middle 1800s, their home could be seen from Kentucky, from across the river, up there on that hill, because they put a candle or two in the windows. And for those on the other side of the banks, of the Ohio River, they saw that candle shining in the darkness. And it was especially a light for slaves escaping from slavery through the Underground Railroad. It's estimated that of the most of the 2,000 freedom-seeking slaves that traveled that way stayed at the Rankins because they got to the river and they saw up on that hill a light shining in the window. And they knew we were, we're almost there. They knew that that light meant a safe place. They, they knew that light meant warmth and safety. They knew that light meant, here's people who believe that I am a human being worthy of their attention and care and not someone to be devalued and degraded. They, these people will care for me. They will understand reality. Th that light, just one candle shining up on that hill in the night, drawing oppressed and hurting people offering harassed folks safety. Brothers and sisters, collectively, that's our opportunity here in Upper Darby to shine the light, to be a place that people see. And whatever's harassing them and has them down, whether it's addictions, pornography, alcohol, drugs, whether it's broken relationships, financial mess, poor choices, poverty, English skills, whatever is holding them back and down, we shine with the light of Jesus. You are the light of the world. And as you do these good works, people see it. You know, our, our preschool does some advertising. I don't know the statistics exactly, but 80, 90% of the people who come are referrals. Non-Christians. 
who say to their friends and their communities, this is a good school. My kids are safe. They teach them and prepare them for kindergarten. And we also offer the truth to prepare them for life. We shine the light of Jesus. So that's us collectively. You know, it's just one example. How about individually? How about in our families? Are, are you shining the light in your workplace? Do you view yourself as, as a, a child of the Father? Do you accept other people where they're at and love them as human beings And as you have opportunity, begin to share the truth that God has revealed to you, the light shining through you in your workplace, in the schools, in your families. Could you imagine the nations of Upper Darby, including in our households, in our families, in our streets, in our workplaces, could you imagine the nations of Upper Darby not, not only seeing life more clearly because we bring the truth, but also feeling loved more deeply because we are welcoming them as the light of Jesus Christ shines through you. That's the vision. That's where we want to be because brothers and sisters, you Y'all are the light of the world. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, what an amazing thing that you would make us the light of the world. That we would share that with you, Lord, who are the light of the world. The one who spoke and created light out of darkness. The one who came as the light and was rejected. Lord, your grace is unbelievable. Your sacrifice on our behalf that we would be able to be children of God and considered like you. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us, O Lord, as we consider in our annual meeting how to be the light of the world. Help us in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our workplaces, in our schoolrooms, Lord, to be the light, to shine and believe that your promise that we are the light. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.